Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We are starting a new uh, journey, and and I, I think that's exciting because we know that the Lord leads. The Lord is the shepherd. We get the privilege of following him. So today, this morning, I want to give a little bit of a challenge in terms of our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, our corporate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week, I want to encourage you a little bit in terms of how God has been using Hoffpentown over the years. And, and it's exciting to see that, to see how many people are serving the Lord and, and just to recognize those things that God is good and, and God is doing a work in this body of believers as well as through this body of believers. And that, for me, is a joy to watch. It's been a joy to be a part of that and to see what God is doing. But this morning, there are several things I think that um, we never want to lose sight of. Right? We don't ever want to get our eyes uh, off track. We want to make sure that we are lasered in on Christ himself. And some of those things are the leadership of our shepherd. It, this is about the Lord. This is about where he's going. This is about hearing from him and following him. We never want to get our eyes off of the authority of his word. We, we never want to see uh, in, in any way, shape, or form the word of God watered down. We want to make sure that we're knowing Christ through his word and listening attentively to what he has to say as he grows us, as we learn, as we are deepened and matured in Christ. There's the power of his spirit. Right? I read it out of uh, the word earlier. It's not by our might. It's not by our strength. It's by his spirit. It's his power. We can have all kinds of conversations about what God's doing, where we're headed. We can come up with all kinds of plans, and, and we have some of those things. But folks, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers are building in what? In vain. God has to raise something up. God has to initiate it. God has to raise it up. God has to sustain it. We are totally dependent upon the Lord for all that he is able to do. And certainly, and there's many more I'm sure that you could put in this, we never want to get our eyes off of our walk of faith in Christ Jesus. This is a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. It's a willingness to be persuaded that God is able in spite of what we understand or what we see. It's about walking with God, which means that God doesn't necessarily give us all the information. The Lord doesn't necessarily tell us what's going to happen when he calls us to things. He calls us to follow him and to trust him and to enjoy him in the midst of the journey. And then he surprises us often with unbelievable things, wonderful things, because we get the privilege of experiencing him in Christ. I, I think if we went around the room, there's no question that we would all recognize that our nation is in need of spiritual awakening. Am I right in that? I mean, there's, there's no question about that. We're, we're seeing things happen now today that are frightening, actually. In Christ, we know that he's in control. He hasn't fallen off his throne. But we're alarmed. It's, I hope, getting our attention. And I hope we're looking at the things going on and we recognize that we better get right in our own walk with the Lord and our relationship with the Lord and we better make sure we are zeroed in on his word and on what God is doing because I believe there are going to come times of severe testing. I'm not the only one saying that. There's a lot of people that are saying that and I think we need to, to listen to that carefully. We don't have to fear it, 
because we know God's in control of it, but we need to be ready, we need to be prepared in our walk with the Lord as we depend upon him. I think our churches are in need of revival. Folks, I, I, don't, I don't know how else to put it. That's not a slam on you. That's not in any way, shape, or form trying to make Hoffmantown the centerpiece. I'm talking about all our churches. I'm talking about across this country. All of our churches are in need of revival. I am in need of revival. Because we follow God, and we need to be refreshed by him. We need to keep our eyes on him. We need to experience him in the midst of everything. We need revival. I would suggest that our families are in need of revival. I would suggest that our fathers, who are the heads of homes, are in need of revival. We need revival. We need Christ. We need his power. We need him. I was... uh, I get mail, and a lot of it hits the file 13 moment, you know. But this one I kept, and I, I appreciated this, and I want to read this to you. Ronnie Floyd, Dr. Ronnie Floyd is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and, and uh, he wrote this. And in urging churches to deal with where we are as a nation, to deal with where we are as churches, as families, and he just... I just want to read one excerpt out of this because I think it summarized it so well. He says this, while this present status, and he's talking about the American culture and the marriage being under attack and the family, uh, all the social problems, the things that are happening nationally and globally, the crises that we're undergoing. While this present status is undeniable, much of the church in America sleeps Spiritual lukewarmness is plaguing the church, resulting in the infrequency of church attendance, declining churches, lagging evangelism, sagging giving, and generational disconnectedness. Complacency and conflict categorize the church more than contrition and compassion. Among the people of God, announcements and promotions within the church gain a higher priority in planning and follow through than prayer. While these realities are rising to a seeming point of no return, it is in this hour that we must wake up from our slothfulness and sleep. Romans 13, 11 says, Besides this, knowing the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We are at a decisive point in time. Therefore, this is an undeniable moment and season fixed by a sovereign God as a moment of destiny. God is at work, and we cannot miss this season of decision and opportunity by being unresponsive and asleep. I absolutely agree with that. I believe God is moving in ways now throughout not only our nation and our communities, but through this world that is bringing, ushering in to the time period that we would call the end of or his return. I think there's no question about that. The question is, are we ready? The question is, are we asleep? The question is, have we become so comfortable in our culture and in our lives and in our world that we've become hardened in hearing from Christ himself? There's several things I just want to share with you this morning, and 
The first thing is about repentance. My, my prayer for Hoffmantown in this new year is that we, we would experience Christ in a fresh way. His grace, his life. That we would experience him in a, in a new way, in a way that changes us even more. I, I think God is at work. But in order for us to experience a freshness of his life, there's three things that we desperately are in need of. And the first is we need to repent of sin. That's without saying. How can we experience a holy God if we are absolutely comfortably numb in a status where we just accept sinful behavior in our own lives? Secondly, we need revival. In order to have revival, there needs to be repentance. In order for there to be a freshness or a waking up, a fresh experience of the Lord himself, there must be a full acknowledgement of where we stand before God, before a holy God, and a recognition of our desperate need of repenting of sin in our lives so that Christ in us can begin to do a new work. And lastly, we need renewal. We need a renewal of our service first and foremost to him and then for him. Don't get that one mixed up. It's not for him and then to him. We serve the Lord first and foremost. We minister to him first and foremost and then for him as he leads as he guides, as he transforms us, changes us, and then through us, he begins to be revealed. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. The issue of repentance is a, an important one. 2 Corinthians seven ten. Paul is dealing with a church that he's written to, and, and he's kind of encouraged them strongly. Encouragement isn't just a rah-rah moment patting on the back. Encouragement sometimes is a, a staff across the legs, right? And this shepherd, this apostle, Paul, writes to them and lets them have it. And in Second Corinthians, he writes and he shares kind of his emotion in the midst of it, but he also shares with us an important truth. Second Corinthians 7.10, he says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now this is an interesting statement because the truth is he's writing to believers. And I believe what he's saying to believers is simply this. You will never regret following God in listening to what he has to say and coming to him and acknowledging that what he's saying is correct. You will never regret that. When God puts on your heart a sorrow over sin and you agree with him, and you change your mind concerning that sin. You thought this was the right way, but you are confronted by a holy, loving God, and God begins to direct you in a different way. You will never regret that, because God, in his grace and his mercy and his love, is able to restore. He's able to revive. He's able to refresh. He's able to rebuild. <laughs> There's a worldly sorrow 
but that leads to death. Worldly sorrows, I'm sorry, I got caught, now I've got to do something to fix it. Godly sorrow is, I may have gotten caught, but first and foremost, I've sinned against the holy God, and I need to get that right. And whatever he chooses circumstantially or consequence-wise is okay with me, because God's good, and because I'll never regret giving myself afresh to the Lord and walking with him in his ways. Warren Wiersbe says this, do Christians need to repent? It's a wonderful question, isn't it? A lot of times we think of repentance with regard to unbelievers. Do Christians need to repent? He says to repent simply means to change one's mind. It is a change of the mind. And disobedient Christians need to repent, not in order to be saved, but in order to restore their close fellowship with God, their koinonia, their fellowship with God. We have a relationship with God that can never be lost because of what Christ did for us as a finished work at the cross. However, our fellowship can be broken. We allow sin into our lives. We trip, we stumble, we make unwise Sinful decisions, and as a result, we need to come back and confess, be cleansed by the blood of Christ, and restored into a right relationship with Him. What a beautiful truth that we have that privilege, we have that opportunity. There's several different things that when we look at it, we we need to repent of. And look, folks, if the shoe fits, wear it. I'm not preaching at you, I'm, I'm preaching at myself more than anybody else, and that's the honest truth. So if the shoe fits, you wear it. You hear it from the Lord. Don't hear it through me in the sense of that I'm saying anything. You hear it from the Lord. All of us need to take a, a real hard, long, honest look at our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's sin there, repent of it. Because God can restore you in the midst of it. What do we need to repent of? Well, there's several things that I just came to my mind question is, have we sinned against somebody else? Maybe we've sinned against one another, and we need to get that right. We need to repent of that. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 through 4, the Lord himself said this, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, changes his mind, do what? Forgive him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that what makes Christianity Christianity? If somebody sinned against you and he comes to you, she comes to you and repents of it, changes their mind, I've sinned against you. What are we to do as believers? Because of what Christ has done for us, we forgive them. We forgive them. We don't hold it to their account. It says, if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Forgive him. Is there sin where we haven't made our relationships with one another right? And do we need to repent to the Lord first and foremost of that? Do we need to repent to one another so that we can walk in unity, walk in brotherly and sisterly love, walk corporately as a body of believers who the life of Christ is being revealed through in a powerful way? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 21, deals with the believers and their attitude towards the world, towards sin itself, towards a lifestyle, towards choices that do not reflect Christ. 
He says, I'm not afraid that perhaps when I come I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife or jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past, listen, and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Folks, believers at times trip and stumble into things that we used to be a part of before we came to know Christ. And when that happens... We need to recognize that, acknowledge that, confess that, and be cleansed of it. We need to repent of those sins to God. We need a change of the mind. My concern is that the churches in our nation, that people have become so comfortable in the ways of the world that we are so hardened to the purity of Christ himself that at times we, we, don't, we don't look any different than what we used to. We don't look any different than our neighbor who doesn't know Christ. And they look at us, and when we tell them about Christ, they say, why do we need to know Christ? Folks, we need repentance. We need to acknowledge sin before God. We need to be cleansed by a holy, loving God. And when we repent of sin that God puts on our heart, that God convicts us of, he cleanses us, and we will not regret it. I think there's also a repentance specifically to the Lord himself. In Revelation chapters 2 through 3, and I'm not going to read all of them, so it's all right. Take a deep breath. In Revelation chapter 2 through 3, the messages to the seven churches are given, and I I just want to focus in on one of them. Four of these churches are told to repent. Catch it, churches are told to repent. Whole people groups are told to repent. People who love the Lord. People who are walking with the Lord. Many of them doing great things for the Lord. Standing strong in the midst of terrible circumstances. And yet they're still told to repent. Perhaps one of the most devastating ones in my mind is the church of Ephesus. What had happened? They had left their first love. They had left their first love. They were doing all kinds of good things. But evidently, they had gotten focused on the activity instead of focusing in on the Lord. They were doing things out of duty. They were doing things because it was the right thing to do. And the Lord commends them. You're doing great things. But this I have against you. You've left your first love. The Lord tells them this in verse 5 of chapter 2 in Revelation. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. There's a repentance to the Lord himself for getting caught up in all the work that may be good but it's caused us to shift our eyes off of what's best, and that's the Lord himself. Why do we do what we do? What is it that we're about? Perhaps what is God calling us to that we refuse to be a part of? Those things need to be repented of, and we need to come before the Lord and be refreshed, be restored, be revived by him. 
As we repent of sin, I believe that the Lord begins to revive us in our relationship with himself. Because that's what this is all about. We sang it, right? To know you more. That's what our, our vision is for each and every individual that comes in these doors, that we would be able to present Christ to every person so that they might know Christ and learn to follow him. How do we follow him? By faith. We get to experience him every day. When the work or the activity or all the other things become the focus, we've lost our focus. Because ultimately it is about Christ. It's about the Lord himself. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14. I'm amazed how many times believers are told to wake up. Believers are told to wake up. In Ephesians 5.14 he says, For this reason it says, Awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. He's talking to us. Wake up. Understand the times. Where are you in your walk with the Lord? What's your relationship with Christ all about? (laughs) Are you walking by faith? Are you willing to listen to him? Is everything his? The idea of revival has the idea that at one point you've been revived. It's revival. That's why revival is not for unbelievers. Awakening, spiritual awakening is for unbelievers. We've experienced the life of Christ. We've been revived. We need to be revived. That's the point. To wake up. To rise from the dead. I, I'm reminded of Jonathan in the mornings. Where is Jonathan? He's here. There he is. Sorry, buddy. I had to, I had to do it, man. He is not a morning person. And it is some piece of work to wake him up. <laughs> it's not that he's dead. It's not that he hasn't experienced life. It's not that he's being raised from the dead. It kind of looks like that. I've never been at one of those moments. <laughs> I've never seen Lazarus come forth. You know, but I got a picture of it. I got a picture of it. How do we need to be revived? I would suggest several things. I I would say we need to be revived first and foremost in our attitude towards the Lord. Our desperate need of him. John 15, 5 is such a beautiful verse. He says, I am the vine. Jesus is speaking here. You are the branches. He's speaking to believers. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. He doesn't say, you can go win the world for me, so go do it. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say, you can be holy by just following this set of rules and regulations in your life. If you just have enough devotions, if you just go to church enough, if you just give enough, if you just dress the right way, if you just, and fill in the blank. No, no, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're abiding in me, what's going to happen? You're going to bear much fruit. (laughs) Why? Because of us? Because of our efforts? Absolutely not. Because of Christ in us as he transforms us. See, we need to be revived in our understanding in the truth and the reality of how desperate we are in need of Christ himself. Our attitude 
towards the Lord. We need to be revived in our attitudes towards leadership. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. I did not write that. (laughs) Isn't that great? I didn't write that. I love saying it. (laughs) Sorry. I know some of you are like, that's top down. I've heard the phrase top down more at this church than I've ever heard in my entire life. And I get it. I get it. Because true leaders are actually followers of Christ. They're not tyrants. So God help us when we have elders or pastors, leaders who are tyrants, building their own kingdoms rather than following the Lord. But folks, and I say this not just to Hoffmantown, I say this to every church I've ever been at, every church I've ever heard of. We need revival when it comes to attitude towards leadership. Because ultimately, you don't trust me. Ultimately, you don't trust our elders. Ultimately, you don't trust our pastors. Ultimately, you don't trust the leader themselves. You trust the Lord, that God is sovereign over that person's life. And so ultimately, the attitude towards the leader is one of trusting God. And when we get that one messed up, and we get man in focus, then we're in a lot of hurt. We're in a lot of trouble. He says, they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And you know what? I want you to know something. Our pastors and elders take that seriously. We really do. We're not perfect. I am, but you know, they're, they, they've got problems. <laughs> no, come on. We're not perfect. Folks, we're going to trip and we're going to stumble. We're going to do boneheaded things. We've done boneheaded things. Praise God. Is God falling off his throne? Is the Lord still in control? Is this his church body? Is this his group of believers? Is he the head? I believe so. And I think we can all trust him. So pray for us. He says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Our attitudes towards one another, humility, love, and self-sacrifice. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and following, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We need to be revived in the way that we serve one another, in the way that we're willing to love one another, in the way that we're willing to self-sacrifice for one another. Have this attitude in you, which is also found in Christ Jesus. What did he do? He went to the cross. He gave his life, even on the cross, so that we might have a restored relationship with him. We need revival in our attitudes towards one another. And I would say we also need revival in the way that we think of the world, the way that we relate to the world, the way that we so love our comfort and our safety. Romans 13, and I refer to this in what Dr. Floyd had to write, but I think it's so important. 
Chapter 13, verses 11 and following, it says, Do this knowing the time that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. We need revival in the way that we relate to the world, in the way that we relate to the way that the world is going. We are a peculiar people. (laughs) Say that about ten times to yourself as you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning. We're peculiar. We're unique. We're not out of this world anymore. This is in our home. We walk a different direction. When when other people are cussing, we, we don't join into it. When other people want to watch something that's inappropriate and not according to Christ, we don't go that way. We follow the Lord. And when they laugh and they mock, it's okay. We know we're serving our Father. We're walking with our Father. And that God through us is producing light. And we love. And we forgive. And we're humble. We don't take our religion and jam it down people's throats. But rather we invite them as they ask as they come to us and want to know what, what is this hope that we've got, we, we share with them. It's because of Jesus Christ. He's made a difference in our lives. That's why we're not walking that way, because we know that wouldn't be pleasing to our Father. We need revival, folks, in all of those things. But lastly, we need renewal in our service to him and then for him. To the Lord, to be renewed, to be refreshed, to be restored. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, and we kind of went over this not too long ago, but I thought this was such an amazing statement. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, while they were serving the Lord, that's first, that's primary. We serve the Lord first. Everything that we do is for the Lord first. Why? Because God called us to it. So that means we better be in the word of God, listening to what he has to say to us. And we are willing to, as the Lord leads and as the Spirit leads, follow him in whatever it is that he chooses for us. But it's unto him first. Because then God begins to do a work in us where he transforms us so that through us his love is revealed, his fruit is accomplished, it's produced. John 15, 5, again, I I can't get past this. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Did you catch that? He, He doesn't put he bears much fruit first. What comes first? The abiding in Christ. Christ abiding in me. The bearing of fruit is a result. It's a result of what God is able to do in us as he changes us and transforms us and then through us as he reveals who he is in our lives. I think one of the traps we too often fall into is that activity equals spiritual maturity. Activity equals spiritual maturity. <laughs> now the, more, the busier we are, the more we're doing, well, that must mean we're, we're really spiritually mature. Really? 
man, that's a trap. I mean, go back to the church in Ephesus and what the Lord had to say to them. You're doing a bunch of good things, but you've left your first love. Folks, we're not talking about being busier. We're not talking about coming up with 10 different things this new year that you've got to go do that you haven't been doing that's going to equal spiritual maturity and to show everybody else how you're renewed and refreshed. What we're talking about is getting right with God and listening to him. He's got a plan for every one of us. And folks, retirement in the Christian community, what? Where's that? Where's that? You don't retire. Come on, you know this. What do you do? You refire. You refire. You may retire from your job that God's used in your life throughout all of, all of the things that you've trained for and the way that God's used in order to provide for your family, etc. But when you retire from that, but you don't retire from serving the Lord. You refire. God begins to do a work in you and changes you, and so that through you, he is revealed in the midst of everything that he calls you to. See, we tend to get our self-worth or value out of what we do rather than whose we are. We get our self-worth out of what we do. Look at all the things I've done, and it becomes a badge to us. No, no, no. It's whose we are that's important. The what we do is a result. It's because of the working of God in us and the revealing of Christ through us. And we get to praise God for what he has done ultimately in our lives and then through our lives. We don't ever need to forget that. So often, our worship and our work are a means to an end. The word of God becomes a means to an end. Jesus himself unbelievably becomes a means to an end. If I just have enough devotions, if I just spend enough time in the Word, if I just do enough good works, if I just go to church enough, then these things will automatically take place in my life. And we immediately fall into the trap. As if somehow spiritual maturity is based on our effort or our ability And folks, we need to be renewed in that. We need to be revived in that. We need to repent of sin in that. Because the only one that can grow us spiritually, the only one that can mature us spiritually is Christ himself. And the only way that takes place is when we yield to him, surrender to him, when we walk in humble obedience to the Lord himself. And then through us, he begins to produce his fruit, which is love. Jesus is enough, and we're satisfied in him and in him alone. And whatever he chooses to do is good, because he's good all the time. Well, we do have good works. We do have good deeds to engage in. But we never want to get the cart before the horse. We always want to make sure that we're walking in Christ's sufficiency and his strength. Titus 3.8 says, this is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to, listen, engage in good deeds. Or several verses later, in verse 14, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. As we're yielded to the Lord, God begins to transform us, and through us, he begins to produce love. 
And folks, love is not passive. Love is active. Love is self-sacrificing. Love is going to put others first. Love will begin to see what is necessary and how can I be of assistance. And good deeds begin to take place as the Lord changes us and begins to lead us and to guide us. This new year, my prayer is, is that God would help us to focus even more so on him and on his word and on what he is able to do. That in the midst of all the need, in the midst of all the circumstances, in the midst of everything as a nation, as a country, as communities, as a church that we go through, that we will be laser focused in on the sufficiency and the preeminence of Christ himself so that through us, God will be revealed, not only individually, but in our families as well as the body of Christ. What's God doing in your life? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.